tonight on Hops and Box Office Flops. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Three, four, stock the beer in the fridge door. Five, six, get a crucifix. Seven, eight, better stay up late. Nine, ten, never... Oh, Jesus, I'm drunk. I'm going to bed. Hops and Box Office Flops. A place where we can celebrate the underdog films, the bombs, the disasters, the much maligned movies that have drowned in their infamy. So please sit back, grab a beer, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the 77th episode of Hops and Box Office Flops, presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. And tonight, we assemble the Dream Warriors to take down an agent of evil, who also happens to be a fan of the greatest horror creation ever to hit the big screen. That's right, folks, we're talking Wes Craven's New Nightmare. And as always, joining me in this hellacious journey through the dream world, Captain Cash. hey and Freddy's parcel tongue, Chumpzilla. What's up, bitch? Was that a Harry Potter reference? Well, he gets his tongue cut as a snake tongue, so yes. Just checking. New Nightmare is currently available on HBO Max via subscription for free. You can rent it for $3, or you can buy it for $5 on Amazon, which is a killer deal. Slashing prices over at Amazon these days. All right. But, um, Stop stop, stop him before the buns get too much. It's going to kill all of us. Uh, points of order. There are going to be more puns. At least five points on a hand to yeah. get like real into your... Wait, what? I added the thumb point for this one. Uh, second points of order. You can find the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Hops and BL Flops. You can find myself at WriterTLK. Captain Cash, where can they find you? C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H on most of your social media. And uh, Chumzilla, when you are not uh, trying to eat a child's head in an oven, where can they find you? They can find me on Twitter at Chumzilla8 or Haunting Their Dreams. Yes, definitely. Also, also maybe Balltrauma.com. Just a thought. <laughs> Hashtag Dutch Girl. So tonight we are... No, that can't. <laughs> no. Can't it? Can't it? <laughs> Inside jokes. Not great. Yeah, it's not it's not a real thing for the record. There is a Dutch girl, but her name's not Dutch girl. Just Okay. Anyway. Is that yeah. like the foreign version of uh Hall Oates' Rich Girl? Anyways, tonight we're drinking uh Elysian Night Owl Pumpkin Ale, which is a six point seven ABV brewed with pumpkin puree and juice, and is spiced uh, in conditioning cinnamon, ginger, nutmeg, cloves, and allspice. Uh, the mash also contains raw and roasted pumpkin seeds. This choice was obvious for a number of reasons. One, it's October, and that means it's time for all manner of pumpkin-flavored shit. And that's not a Spooky, joke. Spooky, scary skeletons. Spooky, scary skeletons. And two, one must stay up into the wee hours of the night to avoid getting murdered by one Freddy Krueger. Thus, we are night owls. Yeah, let's do this. I'll start us off uh, because we always rank the beer as well as say how many beers it takes to get through the movie we have watched. We rank the beer on a scale of one, two, three, 
bad movies as in how many bad movies would you be willing to sit through whilst drinking it? I gotta be honest, this is not bad. It's actually pretty good, but I don't like pumpkin flavor particularly, so I would say one and a half movies, but I would say this is a good pumpkin beer. I just don't like pumpkin flavored shit. Not my thing. Listen, I am a basic ass white girl. I fucking love pumpkin spice. I love pumpkin beers. I will happily, happily drink a pumpkin beer. This is a two and a half beer movie for me. It's not too aggressive that I'm going to pass out after one and a half movies or two movies. I can probably stretch this into four and a half, maybe five hours before it overtakes me. Two and a half. Uh, that's fair. It's a very smooth Chumzilla. Yeah, this beer uh, definitely tastes like pumpkin pie. It's very pumpkin-y. I'm not going to lie. Um, it is easy to drink. It's not overpowering. It's a little sweet. And I do get uh, maybe a little bit uh, overwhelmed with the allspice flavor and the hint of the cinnamon. It's just, like I said, it's very pumpkin pie-like. But yeah, uh, it's not bad. So It I'll tastes give it a... like fall, you goddamn heathens. Yeah, I'll give it a movie and a half. It's not terrible, and, but it is boozy at 6.7. It'll, it'll get the job done, but yeah, I don't think I can give this a full two movies. But yeah, one and a half. Okay. Cheers. Uh, I, I do think it is a good pumpkin-flavored beer. I just, as I said, do not particularly like pumpkin-flavored things. Uh, New Nightmare, written and directed by the maestro of horror himself, Wes Craven, who, of course, wrote and directed the original Nightmare on Elm Street. He returned to the franchise after a very lengthy hiatus and many bitter feelings. Uh, the movie stars Heather Nancy Langenkamp as herself, Wes Scream Craven as himself, Robert the Krug, England, as himself, Miko, I want to be buried in a pet cemetery, Hughes as Dylan, Bob E.P. Shea as himself, Tracy the Skinned Cat Mittendorf as Julie, this is her first big screen movie by the way, and David, I was Dr. Sam fucking Beckett's brother on Quantum Leap, Newsom as Chase Porter. Man, I love that pull. I love it. Listen, the closer you can get to Bacula, the more immaculate you, you are. That's just science. Okay, I'm, I'm going to give that wordplay a, a plus plus. I'm a huge fan of what just happened here. I'm, I might cry tears of joy. New Nightmare released October 14, 1994. It grossed just $19.8 million on a budget around 8. I saw the budget as high as 13. This is the lowest grossing movie of any of the original seven Nightmare on Elm Street films. And it remains the lowest grossing entry in the franchise, which is utter bullshit. Shame on you moviegoers who preferred funny jokester Freddy to what Craven intended for the character. You guys were all cheering on a child molester. Boo-hoo for you. People Listen, like jokes, bitch. I get I, it. I like, do like the jokes, bitch. I do like uh, funny joker Freddy as much as the next guy. But it also was where the series seriously declined when it became way oversaturated in pop culture. And there was serials and a Freddy Krueger day and children's toys and a friggin' TV show that was not good. So some things oh. are better left to not being released twice in a year. But that is peak late 80s, early 90s. 
he was marketed to hell. And I think the failure of this movie is, is a huge indicator of that. Because they killed him how many times over, and the movie right before this was the final nightmare. Final, yeah. Oh. It follows basically the same path they did with Jason, too. Yeah. You just don't know when to quit, because these were independent movies. Because they're made Original. incredibly cheap. Most of them for yes. no more than $5 million, so they would almost always make over 10 times what they're you know, produced for. So it makes sense, and this is Freddy Krueger, for those who don't know, like Nightmare on Elm Street is the reason New Line Cinema basically didn't go bankrupt. They took a huge gamble on it. It made a ton of money. He was their cash cow throughout the 80s and into the early 90s, and he saved the studio. Bob Shea, the executive producer who appears in this movie, and he appears in multiple Nightmare movies, leveraged everything he had for this movie, for the original movie. Had it not been a success, New Line would have went bankrupt. So, anyways, back to the point. So it should come as no surprise that as this movie was guided by Wes Craven, that it sits at 80% on Rotten Tomatoes with 40 reviews. In my opinion, this is a movie that's very indicative of what, of what horror sequels should be. We'll talk more about that later. In a lot of ways, this movie is, was ahead of its time. Uh, and no doubt was probably not what audiences were expecting, considering 4, 5, and 6 were very formulaic and overly derivative. And this is totally different and spins it totally on its head. Um, I, this is a meta-horror film. And really, it sort of sets the template for what Craven does only two years later with Scream. Except, like, honestly, Scream was the better version of this. And we can get into why. But as someone who wasn't connected to the, the Nightmare on Elm Street series very particularly, like, I was familiar with Eddie through osmosis, like, just general cultural osmosis where they're they're literally bringing back the actors from the original Nightmare on Elm Street. I just, I didn't feel anything, and maybe that's because literally it's 25 years on, but... Well, I think that's the big thing. If you're not a fan, this movie means nothing, right? Like, the the symbolism that he's using here and the way he's taking... The original Nancy, and she becomes the the gatekeeper in this movie, and we'll talk about that when we're we're just about to get in the plot. Uh, it, for me, it means a lot. This is my favorite horror franchise ever. I love Freddy Krueger. He scares me to this day. This movie really messed with me just the other night, even though I know it beat for beat. Because when I used to watch this as a kid, it was terrifying to me. There was nothing scarier to me than the thought of somebody getting you when you were most vulnerable. I love Freddy Krueger. When you're taking a dump? Well, sp- specifically when you're when you fall asleep taking a dump. <laughs> oh, yes. That yeah, there you go. Correct. That that is listen, the, that's listen. the right answer. <laughs> there there is no more vulnerable time than during a blumpkin. Yeah. You very, all know it. Very true. So <laughs> the most vulnerable time. Now we're gonna get into the plot. How would you guys describe this film in one sentence? We'll start with you, Captain Cash. What if Scream, but you didn't care about any of the characters? That's harsh, man. It's real harsh. It's harsh-ish. It'd be a bummer, dude. Yeah. 
for the record, I didn't care about any of the stream characters. And when Rose McGowan got killed by the garage door, which is literally impossible, the motor would never lift her. I thought it was stupid. So there. Listen, don't don't tell me you didn't feel something for Skeet Ulrich. You and I both know that's a lie. I I felt something watching his career be murdered as he was stabbed by Matthew Lillard, and then a few months later he appears in Chill Factor, and I knew I was right. <laughs> oh damn! Shots fired. Dime store Johnny Depp. Sometimes dead is better. Sometimes dead is better. All right, Chumpzilla, what's your uh, one-sentence description? Wes Craven tries for a Clive Barker movie, but doesn't quite hit the mark. Okay. Uh, Clive Barker, uh, Lord of Illusions, if you haven't seen it, Scott Bakula. One more plug for Scott. My one-sentence description, as I alluded to just before, this is the cinematic manifestation of all my nightmares as a child. Freddy coming to the real world killing the people that were in the movies where he terrorized them. I was terrified of Freddy Krueger as a kid. Terrified. I actually have an anecdote about watching this movie with Mayor McCheese that I'll share later. It's kind of funny. So the point of order as a kid. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was 11 when this came, when this came out. Yeah. So when did you watch your first Freddy Krueger film, I guess is my Pro- question. Probably five or six. Yeah, that seems healthy. I have watched a lot of really screwed up stuff as, as a kid. Now, let's all point out here, this was the late 80s. So, yeah, there again, no... R-rated properties were definitely geared towards children at the time. There was no real filter in my household. Like, you know, my dad took me to see Alien 3. He took me to see Terminator 2. Uh, these movies used to be played on network TV on Halloween. So, I mean, to be fair, the most traumatizing thing I heard was my dad took me to see Alien 3, which is just a tire fire. Yeah, we haven't talked since. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It wasn't a good movie, but... No, but, I mean, again, this is from a time period where this stuff came out in theaters as a hard R but then was subsequently marketed towards children. There was like Freddy merchandise or Freddy Halloween costumes. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, and the same goes for like Rambo and Predator and RoboCop and Terminator. Like all of those things, they were R-rated, but they were quickly flipped into toy and, you know, children's you know, entertainment franchises. What we're trying to say is the 90s were a lawless goddamn time. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's the thing, like, when I, was, when I was a kid in, in elementary school, we had a Halloween parade every year. So this is like first grade-ish. And I would say over 20 kids, when I went to this school, would dress as Freddy Krueger every year for the parade. By far the most uh, of the same costume you'd see was Freddy Krueger. This is elementary school. Kids loved Freddy Krueger which actually was a big part of what inspired this movie because Wes Craven and Robert Englund went on to a talk show in San Francisco to discuss, were these movies bad for kids? And all the kids were cheering, Freddy, Freddy, Freddy. And all their parents looked mortified because these kids were cheering on the murderer, the, the, the antagonist of these films. And he goes, you know what? This should be part of this movie. 
he, you know, he has transcended into a different, you know, part of the zeitgeist. He's no longer the boogeyman. He's people go to see the movie to see Freddy. But of course, this movie is a much more serious movie. And part of what killed Freddy Krueger and what killed this movie's receipts is that it was oversaturated, which I mentioned. The actual plot of the film, a demonic force has chosen Freddy Krueger as its portal to the real world. Can Heather Langenkamp play the part of Nancy one last time and trap the evil trying to enter our world? Ends on a question. We don't get those very often. So let's cue the plot reflection. Uh, I'll have a question sprinkled in. It's going to be a very quick plot. And then we'll get into our questions. Because New Nightmare opens as a stereotypical Elm Street film. Freddy is fashioning a new biomechanics version of his glove, which he equips after chopping off his hand. Cut, run the movie set. Heather and her son Dylan are there to watch Chase. This is the husband. Uh, by the way, Heather Langenkamp's real husband, also a special effects guy, but he chose not to appear in the movie. Also wildly crazy, the actor who plays Dylan, his father is a special is a effects, special effects guy. guy. Yeah, Miko Hughes, which you'll recognize Miko Hughes. As I mentioned, he From is everywhere. Um, he is the kid in Pet Cemetery. He's in uh, Kindergarten Cop. He had a pretty successful childhood acting run. He was in Full House. He, yeah, he's there. Yeah. So they're watching Chase, the father, work. Then tragedy strikes. The mechanical hand begins to function on its own, killing two other SFX people and cutting Chase. But wait, it was just a dream. Heather awakes during an earthquake. After rushing downstairs, checking on the kid, they, she discovers her husband was actually hurt. It seems like art now is manifesting itself in real life. She details him her dream. Now, this is the movie, right? You are given Heather Langenkamp in the real world, experiencing an actual Nightmare on Elm Street scenario. She's being haunted by Freddy. He's tormenting her son. He's tormenting other people. Uh, and, of course, this whole story is being penned by Wes Craven himself, which is why he's in the movie. Everybody is essentially a part of it. Everybody is suffering the intense trauma on the part of the evil that has manifested itself as Freddy Krueger. Because his whole objective is to break into the real world. And how does he have to do that? He has to defeat Heather because Heather, as Nancy, defeated Freddy. It's the final showdown. Um, now, it all sounds sort of silly as I'm saying this. I No, I disagree. Honestly, yeah. on a meta level, this is amazing. Like, they they literally went back and got the woman who played the character who defeated Freddy Krueger... 10 years earlier, brought her forward, brought like established that she had a son who also had a father who was in special effects. And like this film really worked hard to sell the meta level, but where I think it fails is that no one knows that much about how movies were made. At least no one knew how, how much movies were made in, in 1994. Like, you do this shit in, like, if you took Lord of the Rings and somehow Sauron the Dark Lord has enchanted Elijah Wood in fucking 2020, this would be wild. 
but well, the way this plays out in 94, I'm kind of like, who are these people? I think that's fair. But I also think that if Wes Craven returned and did a stereotypical nightmare movie and followed a pretty similar formula to the one he created, which which was then exhausted and beat to death, it just wouldn't have felt fitting. Like, he had to come back and really change it and, and make it his own again. This was his character. The only reason New Line was able to destroy this character by making film after film after film year after year after year was because nobody wanted to buy the script. And when New Line bought it, they, of course, bought the rights to the character. So he lost creative control. So he lost creative control entirely, which, I mean, that's a pretty stereotypical Hollywood thing. Like, they're not going to buy your stuff unless they own it. Yeah, no, no, that all, all that's completely fair. It's, it's more a matter of the, the, the buy-in that is required for you to really, like, absorb and, and get into this film requires a much deeper understanding of the nightmare lore than basically any other film I've been, I've experienced maybe outside of Endgame, right? Like you have to know who the actress who played Nancy is. You have to know that Wes Craven is the director. You have to know Robert England is the person who played Freddy Krueger. It like yeah. there's a lot of meta happening, and and honestly, I think that's great. I just don't think the film series itself was in was deeply enough in the zeitgeist to have warranted this deep a dive. If this would have came out now, it's a different story because the movie series is so iconic now and everybody knows Robert Englund. He's synonymous with the character of Freddy. I think it's different. But then, yeah, like, you know, there's no IMDb in 1994. Nobody knows who played Freddy. You like, I guess you know it's the same guy, but it was like it's not like if they replaced him, there would have been pitchforks out and people carrying a torch. Like where, as if they had made this when they made Freddy vs. Jason, and they're like, oh, we're replacing Robert England. Like, uh, fuck no, you're not, because I'm not gonna see it. You don't know. Hard, hard agree. Hard agree. Well, uh, I think... I'll agree with you, Captain Cash, to a certain degree. I don't think you fully understand this movie's premise if you don't have a good understanding of the lore and not only the characters, but yes, the actors and actresses that play them. Like there's an element of this movie that doesn't work unless you're very familiar with the first couple of movies. Yeah. And I, I think that's why there's this gap between where Captain Cash and I are, because I love the series so much he was less familiar with it. Like, this movie was basically written for me, for people like me who love this franchise so much, like, where we're like, holy shit, this is so cool. I can't believe he's doing this. This is totally different. I thought I'd get another, like, oh, here's the cast, and who's going to die first? Yeah, you're you're exactly right. The, the amount of, like, just difference in meta that, that Wes Craven went for on this film is really good. Like I really appreciate, like even though I can't appreciate the, like bringing back all the old actors from the first, is it, is it second or third versions of nightmare on Elm street? It's mostly the first, but still that that's incredible. 
that they got all the same actors back to literally play themselves to the point that the director felt he could play himself in a scenario in which a character he created is coming back to kill him. That's great. Which, oh my gosh, which leads me to, I forgot to mention John Saxon in the cast, who of course played Nancy's father in the original, and he's in this as himself. R.I.P. John Saxon, you're the man. I feel really bad now. Yeah, fun fact, uh, <clears throat> Captain Cash, Mr. Wizard. I'm sure the Thunderous Wizard already knows this, but Wes Craven did consider asking Johnny Depp to come back and play himself, but figured he wouldn't do it, so he didn't bother. After this movie came out, he bumped into Johnny Depp and he was like, Hey, why didn't you ask me to come back? He's like, well, I wanted to, but I didn't think you'd do it. He's like, oh, I would have totally come back. Yeah. So you're well, such a all, bummer. Cause you, you gotta yeah. love Johnny Depp for just being like, yeah, man, this is my first movie. What? Just let me come back and get murdered. Yeah. Yeah. In an alternate universe, we do get Johnny Depp in this movie. So there you go. Yeah. That is kind of, I mean, it's kind of a testament to, He's a, he at one time was a super cool guy. I think, you know, whatever personal issues he's going through now. But, you know, he was doing nothing but bumming around in California when he got Elm Street 1. And it launched his career. So, he was in like a band or something. Anyways, as the plot progresses, Heather begins to unravel what is truly happening. Speaking with Robert and Craven himself about our ter- horrific nightmares, the ominous calls, the letters... By the way, the stalking angle also pulled from her real-life incident where somebody got super upset that a TV show she was on was canceled and began to threaten her, and she had to move to London for like six months, too. Super weird. Again, everybody remember, they're actors. Please don't fuck with the actors. Yeah, they they have no control over what is canceled or what happens to their characters, okay? Uh, She and Dylan... Both visibly aware of the strain of what is happening to them, Dylan knows what evil lurks as Heather struggles to accept the boogeyman that haunted her in the movies may have actually found a way to do so in real life. I want people to watch this movie. I realize it's old. It's 26 years old at this point. Go watch the movie. It's a very slow burn. There's only four kills in this entire movie. But that's what makes it a good horror movie. There's tension. You don't go in there and you you don't mark people with a number. Like every Friday the 13th movie, you might as well make a chalkboard and go, well, he's dead first, you're dead second, third. Are you going to have sex and smoke pot? You're dead. This is a good, tension-filled horror movie. It's Honestly, it's the jaws of the franchise. Because even the first one, the kills start right away, and it's very boom, 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 boom. The first one does some things that fool you into thinking, oh, she'll be the heroine, she's the scream queen, this, that, or the other. This is a good, slow-paced horror movie. Freddy doesn't really appear until halfway through the movie. I I, I don't know that I agree that there's not like a, oh, well, she's the scream queen because she's going to, you know, she's the hero because that's that's absolutely what happens. But there's that, but there's not like, Hey, we're going to introduce you to a bunch of inconsequential characters, and don't worry. At one point, they'll all be alone in a room, and then they'll die. You know, they don't. They don't have that. Certainly, you know Heather's making it to the end, and I don't think that's a spoiler. 
but she's the central character. Uh, I'll agree she's the POV, but I feel like the more dramatic and bold choice would be to have Freddy kill her and then literally invade what is theoretically our world. But fair enough. I've often thought in my head about writing a Nightmare on Elm Street script and how I could bring him into the real world and how I would do it. And I think there is a lot of validity to that. And they sort of tried it with Elm Street too. And uh, that movie's interesting. I like it. It's just a weird movie. Um, and, and there's definitely angles to be explored with that. But they'd, all, they'd already done let's kill off the heroine right away thing with four and five. So they could it, it's be like retreaded ground where Patricia Arquette's in Nightmare on Elm Street 3 her character's in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. She's not. And they kill her immediately. So it's... I see what you're saying. But I think, like, doing it would have just been like, oh, you've done this shit before. I don't know. Yeah, fair. Now I'm curious. I mean, we've gotten some of your thoughts, Captain Cash. Not so much that Chumps Hill is. How many beers do you think, for you, Captain Cash, because you've shared your opinions mostly on the movie, are required to sit through this one? Well, I mean, honestly, this isn't a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. Like, it, honestly, I, I don't know that it's a beer requirement. It's a, you have to go back and watch Nightmare on Elm Street at least one, and then Nightmare on Elm Street at least three before you jump in here. That's a good, that's so, actually a good point. If you've never seen any of them, and you're just listening to this pod, and you're like, oh, well, I've heard of Freddy Krueger, but I've not seen the movies... You don't need to watch two, four, five, or six. Forget them. Throw them in a dumpster. I'll tell you which ones you can watch if you really want to, but one and three are absolutely essential before watching this because one and three have Heather laying in camp as Nancy and John Saxon as her father. Those are the essential movies because those are the ones she's involved in and this is really the completion of her being the heroine. Agreed. I mean, and, and this movie really is a, a meta film in a way that, you know, when we talk about meta films now in 2020, just didn't exist in 1994. Like, you, you really needed to know, oh, all of these actors, all of these producers, all of the people who are responsible for making this film were the people who are in this movie right now in 1994. So... You know, as a beer rating, as a beer rating, just to kind of like figure out what's going on, this is probably a four beer movie for me. But if you stretch it out over what is the required, like this to me is basically watching the end of Lord of the Rings. So you're, you're, you're asking the audience to watch Return of the King without having watched Fellowship or Two Towers. This is, this thing is the end. This is the, the hey look we've done all this this is what it builds to and if you haven't watched the build to it doesn't make shit difference to you yeah uh Chumso, what are your thoughts good bad ugly what do you like about this movie how many beers uh beers i'll agree with captain cash i'll give it four beers for slightly different reasons uh you know it, it is a slow burn it takes a long time to get where it's going and I agree, you don't fully grasp the weight of this movie and the true nature of the meta if you haven't seen, you know, 
Nightmare One, Two, Three, Four. The you know the early movies, especially considering how there's a certain scene in the end of this movie that essentially just redoes the end of Nightmare on Elm Street, yes. the original. And in fact, the the cast is actually in their original costumes yeah. or their their, yeah. their wardrobe from the first one, so. You don't need to know that, but it means more if you recognize it. So I guess that's the thing about this movie is like it works as a standalone. You can enjoy it to a certain degree as a standalone, but if you don't understand the lore behind it, you miss out on a lot of the references and a lot of the the impact they're trying to give you. So it's a really smart movie in that regard. I'll give it that. This is one of the smartest horror movies I've ever seen, but it's very much dependent on understanding the backstory from the earlier films so yeah but again four beers it, it it's still a fun ride it's it, it's a very interesting movie uh that's the best there. thing i can say about this it's very interesting on several levels it's um it's not his best movie but it's certainly one of his good to great ones it held up very well for me i'd say two beers only because as i said like freddy scares me so I need a couple beers to cut the tension. Uh, what I love really about this movie is how powerless all these actual people feel as these events are occurring to them. And they're just like people reading a movie script. Because when you're an actor acting a script, you don't have any control of where the script is taking you. They have no control over what's happening because it's seemingly the, this is real life for them. Yeah, no, I agree with you there, uh, Thunderous Wizard. I think the inclusion of the earthquakes is a perfect example of that. It adds an element yeah. of just kind of uncertainty, and it's unpredictable, and the characters clearly aren't in control of it. It's kind of like a real-life Freddy. It's like, oh, by the way, things like this can really happen, like an earthquake. You have no control, and, and it's going to impact your life. And the crazy thing about the earthquakes was those, of course, were in the script, really. But then this terrible quake occurred a day after filming starts. So a lot of like the B-roll they shot is real destruction footage of this horrific earthquake in L.A. that had occurred right after they started filming. So all of a sudden it, it felt like real life was taking on what was happening on set. Like, you know, things were occurring here and they're happening here. So sort of a surreal thing. Uh, I just think it, it's kind of a brilliant reinvention and of course, we said it paved the way for Scream. Like, Craven saw something very interesting in what he was doing here. And he said, okay, now I'm just going to take horror movies and I'm going to turn them on their head entirely too. I mean, honestly, this this film gave... This film suffers from the fact that it's it's giving the meta perspective from the people who are producing the horror versus... Scream, which gives the perspective from the people who have watched a shitload of horror movies, which means it's eminently more relatable. That's ultimately the problem with this film. Like, if if you're into how movies get made and who's involved with making the movies, yeah, this movie is great. But if you're just some random-ass person who doesn't understand any of that and just wants to watch a movie... It's a lot less entertaining. I mean, Scream nailed the whole, this is a couple of sickos sort of view of what a horror movie should be. Yeah. But with this blurring the lines of reality and fiction, did, I don't know if you guys know this, there's not even a title card in this movie. 
there's no Wes Craven's new nightmare. That never happens. It just it shows who made the movie, whatever, and then goes straight to the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a subtle thing, but that's sort of to further the point that this is what are what are we watching here? Like we're not are we watching a movie or are we watching some like things happening to somebody? Yep, that is not lost on me. Thunderous Wizard. Yeah, this movie definitely just jumps right into the narrative as, hey, this is real life. This is happening. They make no effort to paint it as, hey, you're entering a fantasy world and here's a new environment. No, it goes straight into reality. And uh, again, I don't think in 1994, I don't think that was appreciated. Uh, You know, I don't think it was quite grasped at the time. But yeah, you go back and watch it again. It's very much like, hey, they're trying to lead you into this real world environment and hey we're bringing freddy into the real world you know yeah completely redesigned freddy as well he's not the same freddy like he looks distinct the glove is obviously very different yeah and that's that's my big question for this film do you think the redesign works because honestly i'm not sure that it does like i know wes craven has said hey this is my original vision for freddy it's more feral, it's more dark, it's more whatever. But I'm not actually sure it works better than the original Freddy. I, I feel like you bring, you know, kind of scab-faced, it's a weird gardener's tool, glove hand, killing people. I feel like that works better. I I think the glove is worse. I don't, uh, I think I like the design a lot. I think the design had to be different to uh, work for the story mm. because it is not actually Freddy. Right. It's, it's somebody monstrous. It's entity. A, this evil entity channeling Freddy Krueger. So I do like it. I, and I, I think I like it mostly because of how well the movie is, is shot, particularly in the way they frame Freddy in a lot of the scenes that you do get him. Cause he's not in a lot of the movie, but it's it's obviously not as iconic, so that. And honestly, that to me, that's the detriment because this movie is trading very heavily on your understanding of at a bare minimum, three of the previous Nightmare on Elm Street films. So to make Freddy look different just seems like a mistake. I will say this. Perhaps, what would have been in order since they do tread very heavily on your nostalgia and understanding of the property, is some sort of transformation at a certain point in the movie. A meta- That's fair. A metamorphosis, like where he goes from stereotypical Freddy, who's just not powerful enough to overcome Heather or Nancy, as it were, and he has to shed the skin and become this even more heinous entity. Yeah. Because the Freddy in the, in this film is a lot more like skeletal and muscles and his claw is less a, a weird glove as more as like a, a cyborg attachment to his hand. Yeah. It's like a bearskin musculature almost with claws on every finger. So what I would say here is that poor Freddy falls victim to the standard 90s overhaul. 
for marketing I, purposes. I don't know. He's he's never been. He's pretty intimidating in this movie, especially because now we're at the we're at my question, which is uh, best scare or slashing of the film. So I guess I'll just kind of kick it off when they're in the hospital uh, with her son. And uh, the, the asshole nurse gives the son the shot to, to make him fall asleep. And he appears and they sort of do a riff on the opening of A Nightmare on Elm Street. And he just appears behind the babysitter. This ominous tall figure in the jet black hat and coat. Man, that's some serious shit. Also, when he comes out of the smoking bed at the, at the end. <laughs> I was I was I was looking around corners, man. Oh, that's legit. That's legit. Hey, for me, it's when the claw comes up through the bed sheets like Jaws and just glides through the bed sheets. Like, yeah, I, I love yeah. that effect. I love that visual. To me, that's just I, so weird and and like unnerving. I I'll, I'll be honest with you. Not this much of this movie scared me. It just didn't. Like the the best the best scare then is the weird so sort of on Chumpzilla's point was the shark-ish move toward something, which was basically the like the the goddamn it the the cru- the vehicle crash scene where Nancy's husband has Freddie like. Almost grab his crotch, but doesn't. He's he actually scratch. He actually scratches his like. Like he like taps. He taps his jeans very lightly. Because some of the old Texas hello. So so yeah, they call it. It's deliberately (laughs) meant as a callback at a bare minimum to the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So are the sheets for sure. I mean, there's a lot of things she does for sure. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, the scene uh, post earthquake where Nance, uh, Heather awakens in the room, and you get you get a real nice jump scare, is clearly a callback to the original nightmare. Um, short of Johnny Depp falling into a bed and having his guts spewed out all the, over the ceiling, like they tried, he really tried to put a lot of hey, remember this? There's a lot of member yeah. berries in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, well, I think that was, I mean, and that was clearly the point. I think he wanted to get back to that and try to try to reference it. I don't, I I think, I think Wes Craven realized there's a nostalgia factor in play here and he was trying to capitalize on it. And again, I think he was hitting on something and he realized that, hey, there's a market for this nostalgia porn uh, and the meta. Like there's a way to there's a way to leverage that into success, and he he nailed it with Scream, but this was like the proto Scream. This was, and it's also it's a way to market Freddy, or fans of Freddy, market a movie to them without pandering to them, which is what four, five, and six really were. They turned him into almost a cartoonish, buffoonish villain, who you're supposed to root for, and I mean certainly. I, I get that to a degree, and I have, you know, I like elements of those movies, but I much prefer the serious take on Freddy Krueger. I always have. He's supposed to be, he's haunting your dreams. That's scary to children because you cannot control your dreams. Uh, 
that's it. Is this the best of the Elm Street sequels? The sequels? And oh, I, no, for the record, uh, you could include Freddy vs. Jason as a sequel. You cannot include the remake, obviously, as a sequel, but you can include 1 through 7 and Freddy vs. Jason. Oh, I, I mean, it's a tough call because so much of this is predicated on my understanding of the previous Nightmare films. So, is it maybe the best sequel? You know what? Yes. Because I I need to know what happened in the previous films to really appreciate this film in a way that isn't true of most sequels. And yet, you know, like, but it, at the same time, it's also the most required sequel, if that makes sense. It's a, it's a bookend, for sure, and... Uh, I think it is the best because it's the most closely, well, that's tough. Uh, three and this are the two best. Having watched this the most recently, I guess I would choose this, but three is a really good Nightmare on Elm Street sequel. Uh, it also has Larry Fishburne in it, which is a huge plus. Yeah, listen, every time Larry Fishburne wants to be a thing, that's at least a, a half star on that film. Yeah, uh, and three is actually a good movie too. So I would I would say this is the best nightmare sequel. I think only because it 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 reinvented what Nightmare on Elm Street was while keeping faithful to what Nightmare on Elm Street was, and that's what sequels to me should be. Yes, they can be a continuation of things, but horror movies never are continuations because horror movies always kill the villain. So you have to find a way to make them different and unique. And this movie is that. So I would say, yes, there. it is. Chumpsilla. Well, I would say that nightmare four, which was that the, the, the dream master has a weird uh, place. in My nostalgia heart. Don't do this. Well, don't do this, Chumzilla. Don't bring a Rennie Harlan movie as your top sequel. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that one as a kid because I watched these as a kid. But I think three is probably actually my favorite sequel in hindsight. Okay, thank God you've redeemed that. Yeah, but <laughs> but I, I I know I know I know you hate four, but four for whatever reason like that one really as a kid I saw that a bunch. But three's better, and this is a really interesting movie. And I I saw this as a kid and I did not get it. I think that's probably the biggest sin I can give this movie is the fact that it's not straightforward enough that you can like understand it without some like additional context. Yeah. Like if you don't know what you're stepping into with this movie, you don't quite get a new nightmare. So as a kid, I was like, what the fuck is this? I know Freddie. I sort of get it. They, they, they know Freddie. So I got, there's a connection to their past but I didn't really make that connection to the first movie like, as a kid. So sadly, I didn't understand the genius of the movie at the time. But now, you know, watching it, <clears throat> I understand like, okay, this was actually a really smart movie. It, they were going for a high concept and it's tough to get. So yeah, you know, retrospectively, this is actually one of the better sequels. But for me, it's still three and four were the ones I loved as a kid. So that, that makes I'll sense. leave it there. And to be fair, I mean, I, I shit on four and... I always will. It's still a lot better than the ones that came after it. And three is 
better than four. Three is, it's legitimately good. Uh, and to your point about not getting it, like when I rented this, and here's the anecdote about my psychotic sister and Mayor McCheese, we rented this for my 11th birthday. It was on, you know, we went to a blockbuster because those were things and there was VHSs and whatnot. <laughs> so we rent this movie and it's right at the scene where the glove is coming through the sheets, but we don't know that yet. And my psycho sister throws a fucking steak knife down the stairs, covered in ketchup like blood, because she knows we're watching a horror movie. And we go, like, what the hell? And I panic, and I hit fast forward, and it fast forwards through the entire glove through the bed scene. So that kills the scene, because once you fast forward something, it's ruined. And I go over there, and there's just a steak knife stuck in the ground, <laughs> covered in ketchup. Who throws a steak knife down a set of stairs? Apparently your psycho sister, I guess. And, and listeners, now you have a window into the Thunderous Wizard's traumatic childhood. Yeah. I We're was so a, sorry, Wizard. I was also terrified of the leprechaun when I was a kid. And so what she did was... Oh, Warwick Davis will fucking kill you in your yeah, sleep. We went to Ireland and I decided I should have a stuffed leprechaun. Uh, because it would help me get over my fear of the leprechaun. So one night she had some mistake. She hangs the leprechaun from my ceiling fan with a noose and puts a knife in his hand and then covers me in all kinds of shit. So, anyways, yeah. So now there's a tremendous <laughs> amount of trauma we're discovering. That's great. Yeah, you see why I'm still scared of this movie to this day. Wizard, we love you, and this is a safe space. Is it safe? Is it, how safe is it? <laughs> so, so should we rank the Nightmare sequels? No. No. Okay, that's fair. I was going to include the remake, which wouldn't rank highly for me, but it would rank higher than some. <laughs> I saw the remake in theaters, and I was so sad. I did, too. It's, uh, it's better than six. Listen, Jackie or Haley, it was a great choice. He was no, he was good in the movie. He was. Uh, the movie's just not good. Exactly. Like, if you had to pick someone to be the successor to Robert England, not a bad call. Honestly, he does he, does the job you want him to do. He was very. He's creepy. not the problem with that movie. Not at all. Way too much CGI. No, uh, that that's all I'm trying to say. Right yeah. uh, way too much CGI, which is one of the great parts about uh, these movies is the practical effects they use. Um, Brother, I don't know. There, there are plenty of times when they do the the claws in the sheets. Oh, no, no, like, no, uh, no, no. That for sure in this one, but in the, throughout the series, they use a lot of old school effects. Where in uh, the new movie, they rely way too heavily on cheap CGI shit, and it's the same issue I have with alien covenant the aliens are not scary when you know they're not there it, it works so much better as a practical effect yeah when it's a guy in a rubber suit it's real yeah one last question and then we're going to take a quick break one night one teen slashing required who are you taking freddie jason or michael myers uh, let me uh, let me ask a question is it maximum number of teens killed or how many teams need to survive? Just one night, one slashing required. This is the pesky teen 
who stole their dad's car and has been running a fucking muck. You got to take care of this guy. <laughs> He's been hitting over so, mailboxes. Like, He's got to die. Who's going to get him? I'm, I'm just asking for one kill, one kill out of some of the top, let's call it five and a half best horror movie villains. Yes? Yep. Freddy, Jason, or Michael Myers. Those are your three choices. Those are the three icons of the late 70s, because Halloween's late 70s, and 80s. It's it's Freddy Krueger. Eventually, everybody has to sleep. That's a good point. Chumzilla. Well, I'm going to say, for you know the sake of expediency here, that my protagonist is probably on cocaine, because he's a jerk-off. So that means he's not going to sleep for a while. It's a good so point. the best good bet point. to kill him quickly is going to be Jason. Okay. Because okay. Jason doesn't fuck around. Here's a big question. Because I have a lot of thoughts of logic behind all of this. Jason is mostly confined, except for his one jaunt to Manhattan, to Camp Crystal Lake. Michael Myers really doesn't venture too far outside of, Hat- of uh, you know where he grew up. Aside from to try and have, you know, try and murder some folks on, on prison buses and whatnot. I think it has to be Freddy, because Freddy's going to get you one way or the other. I don't think it's that hard to escape Michael Myers or Jason. If you gave me a 10-speed t- bike, they're not catching me. They walk everywhere. I'm going to get away. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. I can outrun Mike Myers or Jason before I outrun my need to sleep. I'll tell you this. Uh, Freddy never kills dogs, obviously. Oh, Michael, so he's a good guy. Michael Myers kills dogs. And if he killed my dog, we're going to have some we're gonna have some problems. I'll probably just run him over. Because I have a car, so if I needed to escape, I'd get my car. That, that's fair, but I feel like, you know, Jason can teleport. Like, I feel like he just he appears can. where it's convenient. Yeah. He can. So, I mean, get, the whole uh, premise he, he of Freddy versus Jason dream. is that he walks several hundred miles and nobody realizes who the fuck he is. Right. Well, I'm just saying, like, you know, Freddy does haunt your dreams, but I think Jason can't appear in the foreground at any moment because that's how he moves out of sight. Okay. Anyway. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of logical points of view here. Uh, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back. We've got the Skin the Cat Elm Street Trivia Challenge. We'll be right back. Hello, and welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops. This is our Wes Craven's New Nightmare episode, which kicks off our Flops That Go Bump in the Night series for October and we are about to do the skin the cat nightmare on elm street trivia challenge the concept is simple multiple choice questions i have a couple bonus questions sprinkled in here as well to chime in in honor of dokken who wrote one of the great 80s ballads of all time that is directly tied to the nightmare on elm street series just say i'm a dream warrior nightmare on elm street 3 it's fantastic. There's a music video. Go watch it. I'll post it to the social at Hops and Flops. 
Are you two gentlemen ready? I am a dream warrior. I'm ready, bitch. <laughs> he does say, he likes to say bitch a lot. <laughs> like a lot. All right. It's number, like his thing. Number one. Which of these plot lines was cut from the film? A. The babysitter Julie was originally supposed to be possessed by Freddy. She would have been the one making the phone calls and sending the notes in the mail. B. Instead of living lavishly in a palatial estate, Wes Craven was originally living in a van driven by Michael Berryman from The Hills Have Eyes. Scared of Freddy, he had cut off his own eyelids. C. Robert Anglin didn't just disappear at some point in the movie. He went out on the run after waking in a nightmare where Freddy had spun him in a green and red spider cocoon. Or D, all of the above. D. I'm sorry. I'm a dream warrior. Yes, Captain Cash. All of the above? That is correct. Oh, uh, I was, I was going to go with A. I do have a question about this. A very brief question. Uh, should they have kept any of these in the movie? Or maybe all of them? Uh, a. You think kept A. A? Yeah, the babysitter angle, that would have been good, in my opinion. You notice she I does agree. look guilty uh, throughout the movie, and that's purposeful. She seems shady as fuck, yeah. I think the answer is Wes Craven cuts off his own eyelids. 100%. If Wes Craven was an actor, not a director, that would have been great. 100%. To have Michael Berryman, the creepy bald guy from The Hills Have Eyes, driving him in a, around in a van as he furiously finished the script, that would have been fucking amazing. The Robert England thing also needed some closure because he does just disappear. She just calls him yeah. and he's like, oh, we're out of town for a while. When I, I really feel like he wouldn't have abandoned her. Well, I feel like that's also to make it seem like he's not part of it. Yeah, I think that is. But he definitely would have been like, hey, Heather, some freaky shit's going on. I got to get out of here. You take care of you and your boy, blah, blah, blah. Like, he just disappears. Yeah, yeah, I, I feel you. Okay, one nothing, Captain Catch. We're on to number two. Damn. Miko Hughes, Dylan, kept a couple of the props from the movie. Which of these was not one of them? Is it A... The playset from the park that he climbs to the top of. Was it B? The prop Freddy glove that his fictional dad was building. Or was it C? The diced up Rex stuffed dinosaur. I'm a dream warrior. Captain Cash. B? Because like, I, I know the Freddy glove disappeared at some point. Uh, he did not keep that. You're right. He Damn. His dad, they lived on a ranch, I believe, in New Mexico. They had a lot of land. They were just going to basically toss that whole playset, the playground. And they're like, well, we'll take it. So he has the playground where he climbs to the top and he reaches to heaven for his dad. And the Diced Up uh, Rex Stuffed Dinosaur, he has the sewn-up version. And Wes Craven, God rest his soul, had kept the sliced version so wow yeah number three you're down two to nothing but uh you've got some time here and you have some uh bonus questions to go chumzilla sweet number three the original nightmare on elm street and new nightmare were both written and directed by wes craven 
the maestro of horror. He only lent his writing talents to one other film in the series. Which of these was it? Was it A, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge? B, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors? C, Nightmare on Elm Street 6, Freddy's Dead? The Final Nightmare? Or D, Freddy vs. Jason? I'm a dream warrior! It's Captain Cash again. Uh, it's it's going to be Dream Warriors number three. That is yeah. correct. Damn, uh, you told us that at the beginning of the pod. I didn't tell you. I did say it was the second, it was one of the better uh, sequels. And that now you mentioned he, it was the other one that he wrote. Damn it. Yarp. Did I mention that? Uh, yeah. Oh, Damn. I should have got that one. So anyways, uh, New Nightmare was the original concept he pitched for number three. Makes a little bit more sense. Also, in Freddy's Revenge, number two, they shot scenes with a different actor as Freddy. They replaced Robert Englund, and the guy was so bad, they're like, no, we can't do this. We nearly didn't have Robert Englund as what we know of Freddy today. That would have been disastrous. Just disastrous. Agreed. Which is also what makes Freddy the Hard best. Agree. Because it's always Robert Englund, whereas Jason's played by multiple people. Michael Myers played by multiple people. You know, this is Freddy. So there is a bonus here. This can get this you. This is Freddy, bitch. Yeah, this can get you back in the game. Uh, can you name the other famous director to have a writing credit on Nightmare on Elm Street 3? And if, I'll give you a hint. He directed a movie we frequently talk about, starring Captain Cash's doppelganger, Thomas Jane. We mention it all the time on this spot. It's The Mist, but I don't know who it is. It is The Mist. Who directed The Mist? I can give you another hint, if necessary. Please. He take one. He directed The Green Mile. I mean, Stephen King is the writer, but not the director. I got nothing. Okay. He ushered uh, Walking Dead to television before leaving the show after the first season. Norman Reedus. His name is Frank. Oh, Castle. I'm a dream warrior. Captain Cash. Frank Darabont. Goddamn. Yep. Ouch. So most of Dream Warrior's script is Frank Darabont's and another writer's. Uh, they they threw away the majority of Wes Craven's script, but about thirty percent of it remained. And Frank Darabont yeah. and another his writing partner at the time. This movie launched a lot of, or this franchise launched a lot of careers. Pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah. So you're down four to nothing. Uh, there's actually four points remaining, so you okay. haven't lost okay. yet. Oh my god! Four thanks, four thanks. questions. God. Yeah. So, Chubzilla, as you mentioned, uh, Johnny Depp would have returned if he had been asked. Yes. They didn't ask, but one, well, multiple former Elm Street victims of Freddy did appear in New Nightmare. Obviously, John Saxon is one of them. He's not on this list. Can you name who it was at the funeral scene? Was it A, Tuesday night? who played Kristen in The Dream Master. That's Nightmare on Elm Street 4. Was it B, Patricia Arquette, who played Kristen in The Dream Warriors? Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Was it Amanda Weiss, who played Tina in the original movie? Or was it Ronnie Blakely, who played Marge Thompson, Nancy's mom, in the original? 
I'm a dream. A dream war. Damn. Captain Cash. Uh, was it Patricia Arquette? Incorrect. I'm a dream warrior. I think it's the Amanda Weiss. You're also incorrect. Fuck. It is Tuesday night who played Kristen. She replaced Patricia Arquette and dies. Damn. That was my the, second guess. In the beach scene where Freddie then puts on a pair of sunglasses. <laughs> but, bonus question. So you can still tie if you get this bonus question. Yeah, I can. There was another member of the original cast at the funeral. Oh. Who was it? I'll give you a hint. They die second in A Nightmare on Elm Street. They die second. Obviously, Amanda Weiss dies first. She's killed in the bedroom. Somebody's there to witness it, be accused of murdering her. Who dies second? I'll take it if you give just the character name. I We need multiple choice. Let's go. Okay, so dies second. Johnny Depp is Glenn. He's not in the movie, so not him. Well, he's Nerf. in the original movie. <laughs> or Nick oh, Corey sorry. as Rod. Nick Corey as Rod. Say, chime in, Chumzilla. I, is it Johnny I, Depp? Warrior? Is it Nick Corey as Rod? Correct. And, oh. uh, Nick Corey was actually not Italian as the character Rod was portrayed. His name is actually Sue Garcia, but it wasn't as... Uh, popular to have a hispanic actor in a movie in 1984 so his agent said you got to change your name so there you go he was in the funeral scene trying to tell me is he's italian or some kind of spanish yeah so racism technically the game is over but i i like the rest of the questions so we'll ask them and (laughs) yeah please you know what chumzilla i'm gonna lower the I'm going to lower the five-point basket for the last question. So. Thank you. I it's appreciate like, it. It's like rock and jock that. basketball. Yeah, I want to hit the 30-point rock and jock. You know, Currently, you're here. down uh, 5 nothing. Oh, So it's a seven-point basket. <laughs> Number five. Speaking of Johnny Depp, obviously he didn't come back. He was not the original choice to play Glenn. He didn't exactly fit the bill of a tall, muscular, blonde jock. Who was the original choice? Was it A, Patrick Swayze? Was it B, Emilio Estevez? Was it C, Charlie Sheen? Or was it D, Billy Zabka? Wait, who's Billy Zabka? The Karate Kid, dude. Johnny Lawrence. Wait, Billy Zane? Billy Zabka. Not Billy Zane. Wait, no, but the Karate Kid's, that's not the Karate Kid. He's Johnny in the Lawrence. Kid. He's, he's in the principal antagonist. He's the, he's the bully. He's yes, the bully. Yeah, he was yeah. the bully in three great '80s movies. Ralph Macchio, lay off. Uh, I can I'm repeat go, those choices. I'm a dream warrior. I'm. I'm going to say blonde jock. That sounds like Karate Kid. It's not Billy Zabka. That's incorrect. Damn. Your remaining choices, Captain Cash, are Patrick Swayze, Emilio Estevez. Or Charlie Sheen. I, I, listen, listen. In my heart, I want to give it to Swayze. But in the rest of my body, Emilio! Also incorrect. Charlie Man. Sheen! It is Charlie Sheen. I'm going to give you the point. 
So now you're down five to one. They couldn't afford his $3,000 a day rate. That's how cheaply, on the cheap, they made Nightmare on Elm Street. They yeah, could not it, afford Charlie Sheen. It, it's not often you hear it broken down to the day. Like, oh, 3000 a day, we can't afford Charlie Sheen. He wanted to do it, but his cocaine budget was way too high. So, yeah, Listen, well, he, I would need at least $1,000 in blow, $1,000 in hookers, and $1,000 in EMT bills. Yeah. Okay. So it's five to one, and with the seven-point basket looming, you're still in this oh boy. thing. Let's do this. Number six. Every entry in the Nightmare on Elm Street series, aside from this one for obvious reasons, at least visits this iconic town in Ohio. Is it A, Elmwood? Is it B, Springwood? Is it C, Haddonfield? Or is it D, Strange Haven? All real fictional uh, towns, by the way. Nightmare on, on Elm Street, bitch. Uh, Captain Cash. I, I know that's not the time the, the chime in. Uh, what was the last one? Strange Haven. Strange Haven. That, that's as dumb as it could sound. That. Incorrect. I'm your worst nightmare, bitch. I think it's C, Haddonfield. Jesus, that's from Halloween, and I almost ruined that earlier. <laughs> I stopped before I said it all. I, I knew it sounded familiar. Yeah, it's Springwood. He's the Springwood slasher, guys. Come on. Uh, I, sorry. You know, honestly, I feel like we should have known that, and saying it out loud doesn't make it better, but... So, yeah. we lived right by Elm Street in college, and it haunted me every single day. Yes, that's a fact. We did, in fact, live next to Elm Street in college. And where I grew up in Ohio, I lived on Vine Street. The street over from us was Elm Street. Yeah. So, yes, Elm Street was the street right next to my uh, my hometown. Never well. live on Elm Street. well, bitch. In, in Ohio. Never. We used to get mail from the neighbors over there. It was, oh, no, this, is, this was for Elm Street or Vine Street. Yeah. Bitch. No. Fuck that. I don't want any mail from Elm Street. Forget it. Not happening. Do you remember we used to actually get on the roof of our house and hit golf balls over the Elm Street building? Yeah, probably where they burned Freddy Krueger. And that's why he's haunted me to this day, which is why I never sleep. And all I do is play Fortnite to the wee hours. <laughs> I okay. Haven't, I haven't slept sure. in 10 years. All right. So you actually don't need the seven point basket. This is the five point basket. Okay. Still, because you're only down five to one. Number seven, Freddy Krueger is synonymous with Robert Englund. We've said it on the show. He is the Krug. It almost never happened. He was not the original choice for the role. This actor was forced to pass due to conflicting obligations. Was it A, Ian Bilbo Baggins Holmes. Was it E, Pete, I'm the fucking asshole who shot the T-Rex Postalweight? <laughs> was it C, William Death Sadler? Or was it D, David Indigestion Warner? Listen, I love how much Pete Postalweight looks like Freddy Krueger, but I, I can't do that. I can repeat them if need be. Yeah, one please more. do. Give us that lovely delivery one more time. Was it A, Ian Holm? Was it B, Pete Postlewaite? 
Was it C, William Sadler? Was it D, David Warner? And the joke was from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, if you didn't recognize. Indigestion. God, I'm such an old loser. That, that's my I, reference for him. Uh, I don't... Uh, my, my choice. Okay. What do you think? David Warner. That is correct. Mailed it, shot in the dark. Wow. I think he got cold feet because there's actually photos of him that still exist in the original makeup, which I'll post again to the social along with Dream Warriors. And if you want the Fat Boys rap song that they did about Freddy, I'll post that too. Please Uh, do. As I told you, he was ridiculously popular. So, Captain Cash, you are the winner. This is really exciting. Uh, Very, very exciting stuff. You have won. Fuck, we didn't even mention this. Uh, Because the the guy that works at the morgue that shows the dead husband is Dan Dan Doherty from Deadwood. (laughs) But you've won the dead husband's jeans with Freddy Krueger's claw mark on the crotch. Wear nice. them proudly. I the boys need some room to breathe. This is gonna be good. All right, uh, we're gonna take a quick break. Last thing we got to do is recommendations, and uh, then we are wrapping up, and we'll tell you what is coming up next week on flops that go bump in the night. We'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to Hops and Box Office Flops presented by RevengeOfTheFans.com. We are wrapping up our Wes Craven's New Nightmare episode with some recommendations and then leading into what we are doing next week. Captain Cash, why don't you kick us off for recommendations? I'm going to give it to the best, the best over-the-top meta horror film ever, Cabin in the Woods. This film has Chris Hemsworth. It's got the guy, like, it, it's a great continuation of this sort of weird, tropey idea of what if horror had to exist in the real world. It's on HBO Max. Uh, my wife and I watched, like, it came out 10 years ago, so it's, it's doing nothing new. But my wife and I watched it for the first time about a month and a half ago. Watch that movie. You ain't seen it yet. It's great. It's uh, very entertaining. Uh, Bradley Whitford also in it. Uh, there's some other people you'll recognize along with Chris Hemsworth, but it takes so many cool, iconic things in horror, like the the creature from the Black Lagoon. Although I don't think they call him that, but like the Wolfman. Yeah, this, that, or the other. And the visuals are very interesting in it. It's a cool movie. You'll enjoy it. Uh, Chumzilla, your recommendation. I am going to recommend my favorite Wes Craven movie, and that would be 1982's... What? Shocker. Have you ever seen Shocker? It's not good. Shocker's a movie with uh, the guy that uh, directed Friday Night Lights, Peter Berg. And essentially, a killer on death row is electrocuted yes. to death, but yes. then, uh, you know, lives through electricity. 
It's terrible. He, he, yeah, and he possesses people through the electricity. It's yeah, shitty. Terrible. It's shitty, Freddy Krueger. I'm sorry. Uh, that, <laughs> Continue. Again, I'm going to recommend my favorite Wes Craven movie, and that is 1982's Swamp Thing. That's right, folks. Wes Craven wrote and directed 1982's Swamp Thing. It was an R-rated movie starring Dick Durock as Swamp Thing, who went on to play it in the sequel, which led directly to the TV series on USA Network that was slightly well-received. But, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the Swamp Thing movies as a kid, and I'd recommend watching them because they're a lot of fun. And I have no idea where you can find those. So, good they, luck. They've got to be on HBO now. Probably, maybe. I don't know. I think. I think they own all that shit. I, I swear I've come across it recently. Uh, anyways. I know they're about to get Holly Quinn season three. Yeah. Well, it, God, God damn it. They're getting all the shows now. So. Yeah. Anyway. Swamp Thing. My recommendations for, for this week are twofold. One is very obvious. It's Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. It's a four-hour documentary chronicling the franchise. For a fan like me, it's it's amazing, and it goes very deep. It, it talks to producers, writers, directors, actors. Almost no stone is uncovered, with a few exceptions. It's, it's insanely detailed. It's great. It covers everything you'd ever want to know. A lot of the stuff I pulled for this trivia comes directly from that documentary. It's so good. It's available to rent across platforms, but it's also free on YouTube. I don't know if that's intentional or not. Um, I gave them my money. I own it, but it is free on YouTube. And if they didn't pull it, it must not be a problem. I don't know. The other recommendation I have is another horror movie that deserved a far wider audience, and that's 2018's Overlord, uh, starring uh, Wyatt Russell, the great Kurt Russell's son, amongst others. Essentially, a group of American soldiers stumble upon a freakish Nazi laboratory in a remote French village. It's really entertaining. It's free on Amazon Prime. I'd watch it. I had a good time. It's not a great horror movie. I think it needed more of the freakish Nazi laboratory. Again, slow burn. Anyways, remember you can find the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Hops and Beal Flops. You can find myself on Twitter at WriterTLK. You can find Captain Cash at C-A-P-T-C-A-S-H across social media. And Chumzilla can be found at Chumzilla8 on Twitter. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe and connect with us on social media to recommend horror movies that you love that didn't make any money or maybe got shitty reviews. Uh, we will see you next for our second entry in Flaps That Go Bump the Night, and that is Dreamcatcher. So I apologize, uh, listeners. Shit weasels! We went from a fairly good movie to a really fucking terrible one. That's shit weasels. That's like duddits. Yeah. So no bounce, no play. In closing, remember the wise words of Robert Englund: "Just because it's a love story doesn't mean it can't have a decapitation or two. Those always just make movies a lot better." We'll see you next time. I'm pretty sure that's Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs>